good. Preacher, thank you. All right, take your Bible, please, turn with me to Romans chapter number 8 tonight. Romans chapter number 8. It's been good to be in church already, and I'm just excited to be a part of this meeting. Just to come and attend, it helps me. I tell you what helps me, just to watch you get something. That helps me. I like that. And uh, God's already met with us. It's been good to be in church already. In days like these, here's what I know. We don't need less church. We need more of it. And there's some things we could do without. We could do without some news. Say amen right there. We could do without some taxes being raised on our gas and things like that. We could probably do without some calories. I'm not calling anybody out, but I'm just looking around. But I tell you what we need is some church, and I'm glad that uh, I'm glad today that's why we're here. That's the agenda for the whole week, by the way, is just to rally around the Lord, isn't it? And uh, we want God to meet with us. I'll be honest with you, I feel like it hadn't even been a year since last year. Honestly, this year has gone by so quickly. And uh, time doesn't just limp by, it sprints by. And the Lord's coming soon. We've got to give it all we got till Jesus comes. And uh, remember God meeting with us last year at the other church, and then uh, I know he's talked talk to the preacher, and he's worried. He said, I don't know, I hope God will meet with us in that colonnade and we didn't even know what that was we thought that was something you plugged in and it spun or we didn't know what a colonnade was you know a colander or whatever that is but I'm glad God can meet anywhere I'm glad God can meet with you in an open field he can meet with you in a prison cell he can meet with you in a fiery furnace and he can meet with you in a colonnade whatever that is I feel like I'm speaking in tongues that's like saying cool lots or something isn't it colonnade and uh but I'm excited. We flew out last night uh, late, 11 o'clock, and got into Atlanta early. Got through the traffic there and then prayed for salvation again. And uh, <laughs> went to Cracker Barrel and found salvation at the Cracker Barrel. And uh, got to the hotel and went to a coma and then had a resurrection. So I'm ready for church tonight. I'm glad to have my preacher with me. And I'm glad he came. Thank you for being and enjoyed fellowshipping with him. He and I don't get to always preach together. We either hear one or each other preach. I'm looking forward to hearing him this week as well. Thank you, preacher, for allowing me to come. I mean that. And I know it's probably already been said, and all of you will say the same. Brother Gravely is just a dear friend, isn't he? That's a good testimony when not just one or two people say that about you. But when everybody says that about you, that really means something. And I appreciate your friendship. And I appreciate Brother Sutherland up here. I went to that same Cracker Bowl today that me and you ate at. And so I uh, hope the same powers there it was there when you... Yeah, yeah, that was a good place to go. And I uh, appreciate Brother Morgan. And then Brother Harris is up here too. And I appreciate Brother Sam. And then uh, Brother Williams, appreciate you. I hate to even admit this. I've been discouraged. You probably get discouraged from time to time, don't you? And just weary in the way and trying to look for something. You know, that's why a lot of guys change and compromise. They're looking for a magic bean to make the thing grow. There's no magic bean to make it grow. It's going to have to let God get in on that thing. But I've been praying. just seemed like I liked power. And I was discouraged. I was in a hotel room and turned it on one of those religious stations. You know how these preachers, they sell different things on the Internet. They'll sell vials of water and sweat from a meeting and you know they'll pray over things and you buy it and you'll have and I hate to admit it because you might not want me to preach but I, I gave in to that and a big name charismatic preacher just on TV selling these prayer claws and I thought I got to get one of them I've been carrying this thing around with me for several weeks I don't know if anybody knows who it belongs to whose is that is that yours anyway I got this from brother Gravely he, he uh He's, it says right there. You, he's never preached anything. <laughs> it says right there. I'll trade or I'll trade the old cross for a coin. That's or for a crown. That's what it says. A crown. But uh, but I'll give you. I'm gonna give you that back. Uh, it hadn't helped me at all. And 
<laughs> we, we, he left that in California. We washed it and everything, and it's yours. You can have it. And uh, Romans chapter 8, I'm going to read one verse of Scripture. And uh, if you're able to stand, I know it's tight in here, but would you stand just out of reverence for the Word of God tonight? And uh, there might be more of those at the table if you'd like to get one on your way out. And uh, he said 100, he said 5, so... It's somewhere in between those two, and you'll want to get one of those on the way out. Romans chapter 8. We're going to read one verse of Scripture, and that'll be verse number 31. Very familiar verse. Why don't you see what the Bible said? What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul has gone through the first 29, 30 verses of Romans and he's dealt with different doctrines and suffering in the Christian life. He's mentioned promises that meet every suffering. I'm glad for manifold temptation, there's manifold grace, and God meets the need. And he's saying, I know you in Rome, that you're persecuted, you're pressured, you're in peril, you're unpopular. He said, but before you quit and get discouraged, I want you to consider something with me. I want you to consider all these promises, all these good things, all these big blessings I've just listed in these first 30 verses or so of the chapter. Now step back and let me ask you three questions. In reverse orders, the way we'll look at them tonight, the first question is this, who can be against us? No doubt at first they probably thought everybody's against us. What are you talking about? And then he said, now I want you to consider this question, is God for you? And he said, once you consider who's against you and then consider who's for you, I want to ask you a question. What do you have to say about that now? Amen. Now, maybe before you're going to quit, maybe before you're discouraged, but now that you've thought about this for a minute, now what do you have to say about it? And maybe you're here tonight and that's where you've been or that's where you're living now. And I want to, but before you throw in the towel, get discouraged and say, woe is me and pass out invitations to your own pity party. Let's just consider this. I know there's a lot against us. Well, let me ask you a question. Who's for you? That's right. And then what are you going to say about that? Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd help me preach, please. I pray that you'd make this truth clear. I pray for power. Help some preacher. Help some Christian worker. Help some family. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. I read a statement the other day by a man, and here's what he said. I don't know who the man is. He said, for every complex problem, there's a simple solution, and it's always wrong. Now, I don't know who that man is, but I have to tell you, that man is sadly mistaken. Apparently, that man's never read Romans chapter 8. And tonight, I want the Bible to help assure your heart and mind that there is a simple solution to every complex problem in our life. God's people have always been a minority in this world. We've always gone against the grain. We've always had to stand against the current. We've always been at contrast with the multitude. In fact, from the very moment you and I were saved and called and been born into the family of God, we were taken out of the majority and we've been placed in the minority. The attitude and the atmosphere that we see today that is so anti-Christ and anti-church and anti-Christian is not something that has just arisen in our generation. I want you to understand, it has always been that way. God's people have always had to stand against horrible odds and mighty opposition and overwhelming difficulty. And let me say this, if this world is a friend to you, then you're probably not much of a friend to Jesus. Because Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 18, he said, if the world hates you, don't get shocked by that. 
that. The world hated me long before it ever hated you. And can I say the Christian has always been outcast and the Christian has always been outnumbered. I think about Noah. Noah was outcast and outnumbered. He was the only man in his generation walking with God. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but he was the only one that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. But God blessed his life. But Noah was outcast and Noah was outnumbered. I think about David who had to stand there. He wasn't on the perimeter of the battlefield, but he was in the heat of the battle. The rest of those sorry soldiers were shaking in their sandals, scared to death of Goliath. David just thought his God might be big enough. He was outnumbered and outcast, but thank God he took his stand for God. I think about Samson. Samson stood alone against the entire Philistine nation, but Samson stood. He was outcast and he was outnumbered. I think about Daniel who prayed. I like Daniel. Daniel was more worried about losing a testimony than losing his head. And Daniel said, if I prayed before, I reckon I'll just keep praying through. If I prayed before, I'm going to pray today. And he prayed to God anyhow. He was outcast and he was outnumbered. And I want to remind you that our heritage as Bible believers, our heritage as old-fashioned Baptist people, our heritage as born-again Christians is not a heritage of calm seas or commendation or easy sailing, but our heritage is one of arenas and battlefields and prison cells and hard times and persecution. Lester Roloff used to sing the song, it's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. It's a fight and not a game. He said, run if you want to and run if you will, but I came here to stay and I want to remind you, it's not going to be easy in this world, but that's because we're not at home in this world. I'm not a fugitive running from. I'm a pilgrim pressing to and this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Christians are strangers down here. We're pilgrims looking for a better country. We're soldiers in enemy territory and the closer we get to the church going up, the further down this world's going to go. And as this world goes deeper down into depravity, you better believe the furnace is going to be heated hotter for the child of God. The very moment you and I were born again, we walked on the battlefield of perilous times and of the last days. Paul told Timothy that in the last days, perilous times would come. And those perilous times just characterize those moments right before the Lord is going to come for his church. And I believe any moment now that Jesus is coming. It's going to wax worse and worse. Wickedness will abound. But the Lord is coming. But don't mistake it. As we near the trumpet blow, it's going to get harder and harder and hotter and hotter for the child of God. Now with that in mind, I want to consider three questions from verse 31. And I want to ask you tonight, what do you have to say about that? When you study Romans chapter 8, it's a chapter of edification, exhortation, and encouragement. Here in these 39 verses, these verses are aimed at giving reassurance to a believer that's living in the midst of persecution and serving against horrible odds. You remember if you study that the church in Rome was a starting church. I don't believe it had been established very long. In fact, the Bible doesn't even tell us that they had a pastor. No doubt they might have, but his name's not mentioned. This is a fledgling church, not just a starting church, but I like this. It was a steadfast church. I'm glad they didn't dip their sails. I'm glad they didn't change their colors. I'm glad they didn't compromise their conviction, but they stood for the word of God. Tonight, I'm glad I see these young men. You don't have to be saved decades to take a stand for God. Hey, you don't have to be saved for generation to take a stand for God, but I'm glad even a starting Christian 
nation can take a considerable stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. It was a starting church. It was a steadfast church, but it was a suffering church. This church is situated in the city of Rome. Now you know this. It was the Roman Empire that crucified our Lord. In fact, that wasn't even the last Roman cross that a Christian would ever get nailed to. They say the Roman Empire would crucify people at a rate of 500 every day. They'd take Christians and sew them up in the carcass of dead animals and cast them into the arena. They were persecuted and burned at the stake. So these believers in Rome were validating their faith, not by some social media post, but they would validate their faith in their own blood. They were pressured, they were persecuted, and they were unpopular. So Paul takes to Romans 8, and God leads him to spend an entire chapter to give us some truth, to stir the fire of our faith and increase the anchor of our hope in these last days. Here in verse 31, Paul is pulling the entirety of the previous 30 verses together. Every truth that he's presented in verse 1 through verse 30 is now coming together. And Paul is giving his closing argument as he's delivered these truths so far. For much of the book of Romans, Paul has acted as a neurologist dealing with the head. But now Paul acts as a cardiologist dealing with the heart. Paul has dealt with deep doctrine, but now he gives us some devotional truth. And let me pause and say I'm glad for doctrinal preaching, and I like devotional preaching, and I really like it when you can mix the two together. Say amen right there. Here in verse 31, look what it says. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul has already given the truth. He's presented his case. He's weighed the evidence. And now he lays out his final argument. He gives it to us in three questions. Now I said tonight we're going to look at them from reverse order. Here's the three questions to consider quickly tonight. Question number one, reverse order. Who is against us? Question number Number two is this, is God for us? And then the final question I'll ask you tonight is this, now what do you have to say about all that? As we look at this verse tonight, let's ask the first question, who is against us? I don't doubt as the Romans read that letter on the first reading, they must have laughed to themselves and thought Paul's lost it. What do you mean who can be against us, Paul? The entire world is against us, Paul. Everything is against us, Paul. We're living in an anti-God, anti-gospel, an anti-church, anti-Christ city. What are you talking about? Who can be against us in AD 50? They begin to make Christianity a crime in Rome. In AD 64, they outlawed being a Christian in Rome. And now Paul is writing to those who are serving there in the seat of Satan and saying, who can be against us? I think they probably thought Paul's crazy. Paul's lost his mind. Don't you know where we are. We're not serving somewhere. I mean with a cushy experience we're not signing Bibles we're losing our necks for the cause of Christ. Where, what are you talking about Paul? Have you lost it? Our blood is standing in the streets of our town. Our families are being separated. I mean we're looking to lose our head uh, through this persecution. Everything's against us. I can see as they talk to themselves the world is against us. The world's against us politically. The Roman government stood against the 
Christian. The world's against us socially. Their standards stood against the Christian. The world's against us culturally. Their perversion stood against the Christian. The entire world, they would say, is against us. Not only that, they'd say the flesh is even against us. All the worry, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the doubt. Every day we live, we're worried about what today holds. Oh, can I tell you that this world is against us? I'll tell you, this flesh is against us. Not only that, there's a devil, and the devil's against us. We're tempted on every side. We hear that old lion roaring down every avenue of Rome. He's looking to devour our families. We're swimming in an ocean of fear. What do you mean? Who is against us? I can hear that question being asked through the annals of the Bible. Noah, who's against you? He'd say, my generation is against me. Abel, who's against you? He'd say, my brother is against me. David, who's against you? He'd say, Goliath is against me. Gideon, who's against you? He'd say, all of Midian is against me. Elijah, who's against you? He'd say, Hillary, or Jezebel is against me. Moses, who's against you? He'd say, Pharaoh is against me. Esther, who's against you? Haman is against me. Hey, Roman Christian, who's against you? They'd say, Nero's against us. The soldiers are against us. Our family's against us. The Jews are against us. Everyone and everything is against us. I can see as they read that letter and they thought, well, I would even ask that. I could give you a long list of those that are opposing the work of God. Can I say the same thing's true for you and I? When we ask the question in that fashion and we say, who is against us? We can write a long list and say, it's easy to explain who's against the Christian. You listen to the news. You watch the television. You drive down the highway and look at the billboard. You look into politics. It is very obvious that the world is against the child of God. The flesh is against the child of God and the devil's against the child of God. You say, who is against us? The apostate who used to be what we are yet never got say they're against us. You better believe it. The backslider is against us. The carnal critic is against us. The devil is against us. The education of the world is against us. There might be family who's against you. There might be friends against you. The government is against you. Hollywood is against you. Your own health might be against you. Your mind might be against you. Your church might be against you. Your neighbors might be against you. You say, my circumstances, my situation, my plot in life, it all seems to be against me. Tonight I understand where you're at because I am what you are. I know it's not easy, but it's not supposed to be easy. Can I say we're not here to get a fan club? We're here to make followers of the Lord. We're not here to draw a crowd. We're here to get some converts. We're not here to get a contingency. We're here to make disciples and it's going to be a narrow way. It's going to be a tight avenue. Can I say it's not going to be easy. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through. You and I are on the battlefield for Jesus Christ. But I say onward, forward. Shout aloud, Hosanna. It's not time to quit. You say, who's against you? I tell you, I think my president's against me. Who's against you? We got some backslidden church folks. Who's against me? Who's against you? The used to be fundamental preacher that's now liberal. He's against me. Who's against you? The backslidden blogger is against me. Who's against me? The CCM crowd is against me. Who's against you? The convention crowd is against me. Who's against me? My own discouragement is against me. My own doubt is against me. What do you mean, Paul? Who is 
against us. I can write a long list on who is against me. I want you to ask the question, who's against you? But the next question is this, who's for you? Because here's... Because here... Oh my, because here's what he said. He said this, who can be against us? Well, we answered that. You just go through the scripture, take your pick, they're against you. But here's the next question. He said, consider this before you get too discouraged. If or is God for us? Now I want you to hear this statement. Human tendency is to get tunnel vision when it comes to the negatives of life. And to get blinded when it comes to the blessings of life. And though the negatives might be minuscule and the blessings might be mammoth or large, it seems like we get caught up on the bad and forget about the good. I don't doubt that's where these folks caught in Rome every once in a while. As they were persecuted, I said they were pressured, as they were unpopular. No doubt at times they thought, is it really worth it? I mean, there's nobody for us. There's nobody taking a stand. There's nobody representing us. There's no legislation on our behalf. There's nobody wanting to follow in our footsteps. They're all mocking us. They're cutting us off. I mean, everybody's making fun. We're the offscouring of society. We've been tormented and tortured all the day long. And you emphasize the negative. I think that's why God had Paul plug that statement right in between the first statement and the last statement. He said, let me sandwich something good right here in between question one and question number three. He said, let me clear your mind for a minute. Let me give you something to consider. He said, I want you to go back. I want you to reread. I want you to look over verse 1 through verse number 30. I want you to take a look at those first 30 verses. Read about those promises. Read about those blessings. Read about those doctrines. And then I want you to step back and measure your promise against your problem. And measure your promise against the pressure. And measure your problem against the unpopularity. And can I say, when you look at your problem through the lens of your problem, that problem is pretty small because that promise is so big. He said, if you'll go back and look from verse 30 to 31, he said, I just want you to skim it and then shout over it. You'll find out there's somebody for you that's bigger than all that crowd that might be against you. I know you're here tonight and you have a long list of those that are against you, but I want to say you might have a short list of who's for you, but that short list is a lot better than that long list. If you, if you look through this chapter... If you look through this chapter, you'll find it's divided into six big blessings for the persecuted believer. Paul goes through this chapter leading up to verse 31 and he gives these Roman Christians six big things to hang their hope on. I looked here in verse 1 through 9 and he said, let me remind you about your acquittal. It starts off in that first verse. There is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. You say, everybody's against me. Everybody's against me. He said, yeah, but consider this. There's no condemnation. The wrath is rolled away. The judgment's now gone. He tells us there in verse number three that the law could not convert. It could only condemn. But Jesus could convert. And thank God he showed up. I like it. The law couldn't convert. It could only condemn. Jesus could have condemned but chose to convert. I stood there lost, undone without God or his son. And the condemnation of the Lord hovered over my head. The law couldn't fix it. 
religion couldn't take care of it. My flesh couldn't do it. But thank God I waited deep down in a stream of amazing grace. And when I got in that river of grace, I came out and lost some things. I got some things, but I lost some things. I lost judgment. I lost hell. I lost my iniquity. I lost my stain. I lost my condemnation. I lost my bondage. And you say, I don't know, Brother Cooper. There's a whole crowd against me. Yeah, but think about who's for you. You see, how do you know God's for you? Because he saved my soul from hell. There's no condemnation. No, no. What sins are you talking about? I don't remember them anymore. Thank God for the acquittal. Not only the acquittal, but I know he, I know he's for me because of the awakening. Verse 10 and 11, he talks about the fact that if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. On that resurrection morning, when all the dead in Christ shall rise, I'll have a new body. Praise the Lord. I'll have a new life. I'm glad that this world isn't the best I have to look forward to. I'm glad the grave ain't my destination. I'm glad all the heaven's waiting for me. I got hope in a resurrection. Thank God. I'm glad for that day that the Holy Spirit of God moved in and he freed me from sin and he made me new in Christ and he quickened my dead spirit. Thank God. He birthed me in the family of God. I know he's for me. You see, I got deacons against me. Who cares? I got women against me. We all do. You see, I got the internet against me. Join the club. But let me remind you who's for you. Thank God he's for you. God is for you because of the acquittal, because of the awakening. I know he's for me because of the adoption. Verse 12 through 16, in redemption, he, in the, in redemption, he made me a son in adoption. He placed me in the family. I didn't choose my son, though I would have chosen him if God gave me the choice. God just gave him to us. But adoption, you talk about grace. You talk about mercy and long-suffering and love for somebody to go to somebody. He's not in his family. Amen. He, he doesn't have his name. He doesn't even share his blood. At that. He goes there to that orphanage and there's a sea of children there. And I'm glad you said you're not a, a Calvinist. That way I don't have to say I'm not either. But anyway, I, I mean, you said it like 20 times, so I don't worry that you are. But anyway, there's a, whole, there's a whole sea of people there. And he goes into that orphanage and he picks out the one he wants. He said, I think I'll have that one. I'm glad, thank God, there's some good things in the Bible. If you rightly divide it, it won't bother you a bit. But I'm glad that he elected me after I got some thank God. I'm glad I've been adopted into his family. I got all the rights and privileges pertaining there too. I've been acquitted. I've been awakened. I've got an adoption. I like my anticipation in verse 17 through 25. In verse 17 through 25, it talks about our suffering, but then it also talks about our glorification. And he said, the things that you're under can't compare to what's waiting for you over on the other side. Thank God for that anticipation. By the way, he calls it our hope five times. He mentions hope five is that number of grace. Our hope is anchored in grace. Because we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearance. Grace of God, which teaches us the non-godliness and worldly lust. Thank God for grace and our hope. And then I got assurance. I know he's for you because of assurance. Oh, right. See what he said in verse 26 through 27? He talks about the fact that the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And then he gets into verse 27, talks about the Lord and what he does for us. And here's what he's saying. He said, you got assurance in the temple and you got assurance at the throne. He said, because whenever you pray and you can't get the words out, you've got that assurance in the temple, the Holy Spirit that takes your groanings and makes them known to 
God. But then once you pray, thank God you got assurance at the throne because you got a mediator right there at the right hand of the Father who then takes that groaning and presents it to God. Can I say, I can't pray, but what it gets heard. I can't pray, but what it gets through because it don't depend on me. I got the assurance on the in the temple and assurance around the throne. You say, I don't think he's for me. I'd say he is. All these things he's given you, your acquittal, your awakening, your adoption, the anticipation, your assurance, and then I like his authority. Verse 28 through 30, before he gets into our text verse, he reminds him that all things work together for good. He says, I just want to remind you something. By the way, God's still in control. Be not afraid, whatever be tied, God will take care of you. God knows what he's doing in my life and in yours. I like the fact there's an unseen hand that leads me through this life. It'll lead me across the river one day and it's prepared a mansion for me to dwell in for all eternity. I can't see God all the time, but I know he's there on promise. He said he'll never leave me nor forsake me and all things work together for good. I'm glad it's not an accident with God. It's not a mistake with God. It's not an uh uh-oh with God. It's in all things well with God. He knows what he's doing. And it sounds like it to me. God is for us. I can see those Roman Christians talking. At first they're saying, let me tell you who's against us. And then they begin to talk a little bit about it. Then they get into these promises. And after a while they say, you know what? I can't remember who's against us. I can't think of the first one. They say, who's against you? It doesn't really matter who's against us. Let me tell you who's for us. Let's look at our opposition. By the way, let me say, I, I read that verse wrong on purpose. It doesn't say who is against us. It says who can be against us. He's not saying there won't be somebody who doesn't like you. It's just saying that the enemy can prevail over the child of God. He's not promising you a life with no opposition. He's not promising you no adversaries. He's not promising you no battle. He's just saying we're more than conquerors through him that loved us because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Yes, the flesh is against me, but it cannot prevail. Yes, the devil is against me, but he cannot prevail. Yes, the world is against me, but he cannot prevail. Yes, Goliath was against David, but he did not prevail. Yes, Midian was against Gideon, but they did not prevail. And the same thing's true in my life and in yours. God's got this thing under control. There's a long list of who's against me, but God is for me. I'll tell you what that does. It reminds me he's my savior, my general, my friend, and it takes the roar out of the lion's mouth. It takes the sting from the serpent. It takes the gale from the storm. It lightens the load and elevates the valley and shortens the night. There's a lot of folks who are against me, but none of them are going to get the win. I like that song, I'm on the winning side. Yeah, I'm on the winning side. God is for you. God is for you tonight. I want to encourage you. God is for you. God is for you at the breaking of day. God is for you at the noontime. God is for you every evening. God is for you when you peel your head. God is for you on the mountain. God is for you in the valley. God is for you in the storm. God is for you in the calm. God is for you in the battle. God is for you in the peacetime. God is for you in abundance. God is for you when you're empty. God is for you under the juniper tree. God is for you in a fiery furnace. God is for you in a mamertine prison. God is for you in the cave of Adullam. God is for you. God is for you on the Isle of Patmos. God is for you on the the cross. 
cross of Calvary, that thief, hey, God was for him. Can I say tonight, it doesn't matter. In the hospital, God is still for you. At the graveside, God is for you. In the debt, God is for you. When that tragedy comes, God is for you. I'm glad he hadn't altered. I'm glad he hadn't changed. I'm glad he's not, I'm glad he's the same God that he's ever been. And just like he was in Rome, he's the same way here in Georgia tonight. And he'll go with you wherever you go. That God is for you. Hagar found out God was for the widow in Zarephath found out God was for her. The leper found out God was for him. Bartimaeus found out God was for him. Lazarus found out God was for him. And I'm glad God's on my side and God's on your side. Thank God. I think it's Bob Jones Sr. or John Morgan one said, you and God make a majority. Doesn't matter who's against you. It's about who's for you. So let me close it. I want to hear the next preacher preach. So let me close. Number one, let me ask you a question. Who's against you? I bet you we could testify on that till the end of the meeting and not have time for anything else. But let me ask you this. Is God for you? What do you think? You think God's for you? Saved you from hell. Gave you life. Let you be born or live in America. You got a meal to eat today, I'm sure. Had a car to drive in, have nice clothes on your back. I'd reckon God's for you. So here's my last question. Now what do you have to say about that? I mean, you reckon we should still pout about it? No. You think we ought to just quit on this thing? Maybe get discouraged? Maybe it's time to slack up. Maybe it's time to, to cut back. Maybe it's time we quit doing so much preaching and singing and witnessing. Maybe it's time we drop the standard. Maybe it's time we just cave into compromise. Maybe it's just time we kind of dip our sail a little bit. Maybe, I, I don't know, everybody's against us. Maybe we ought to just join in with that bitter crowd and mock everybody who's trying to do something for God. I don't know. Maybe we ought to just quit having Jubilee and quit having camp meeting and quit having homecoming and revival. I mean, maybe we ought to just quit this whole church thing and give up on Jesus. Now, he never gave up on us, but maybe we ought to give up on him. I mean, what do you have to say about that? And I can hear him in Rome saying, man, Nero's killing us. He's burning us at the stake. The Jews hate us. Our families cut us off. We're surrounded by paganism and sin in this society. But Paul said, yeah, but wait a minute. I mean, just check yourself for just a minute before you throw in the towel. Hey, remember, we're not talking about Nero. We're not talking about Rome. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about God. Don't you? You're focusing too much on the negative. You're focusing too much on the problem. You're focusing and too much on the hardship. Let me remind you that God is for you. And the same thing's true tonight, preacher. Don't you quit preaching. Singer, don't quit singing. Don't you quit witnessing. It's not so much the less. It is so much the more. As you see the day approaching, I say we just go on for God. I say we just press on. I say we just preach another message. Sing another song. Love another sinner. Encourage another saint. Restore another prodigal. Hey, have another meeting. Have another service. Have another prayer closing. Let's just go on for God. I think I'll read another page. I think I'll love on my family. I think I'll just try to walk with the Lord. I think I'll seek the power of God. Oh, I don't think we ought to quit. I don't think you ought to be discouraged. I don't think you ought to look for the exit ramp. Let's just get in this thing for God. God is for you. 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 Jehovah God, Almighty God, the everlasting God, He's on your side tonight. That man said, that man said, for every complex problem, there's a simple solution and it's always wrong. What a jerk. That's what Barney would do. What a jerk. That's dumb. He's never read Romans 8. 
Because for every complex problem in life, there is a simple solution. Is God for you or not? Well, then who's against you? It doesn't matter. What do you have to say about that? Preacher, you come. I'm through. Thank you. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. We'll have a brief invitation before we move on the service. Maybe God spoke to your heart. Maybe you're discouraged. I think that's a reason why we come to meetings like this. We just need to get something to keep us going. Why don't you stand your feet with me? If you want to come pray tonight, you just come pray. God knows your need. We'll play something here on the piano, Brother Waters. You sing and play. Altar's open right now. If you want to come spend some time on this altar, you just step out and come. You come. Altar's open. You come. Preach it. Come on.